Well, it's good to have you back today as we continue our series on talk about how do we escape escapism, the great trap, I think, that we find in our modern era, but I think it's something that's really impacted most people throughout time, uh, just uh, waste our lives uh, on pointless and fruitless endeavors, to escape our reality, and uh, um, to, to kind of let the world just pass us by. And uh, oftentimes we do that because we feel overwhelmed by the world, we feel like we can't really handle things, so what do we do? We try to just turn on the phone or and, uh, and or the TV or a movie or, or whatever it is that we want to do to be able to just avoid reality for a bit. But the problem is reality is still there and it doesn't go away and then we just typically make the problems the worst and then we get more anxious and then we want to escape all the more and then we find ourselves very uncomfortably numb uh, trying to escape and then realizing that uh, things just don't get better. And you know, God has a better way for us to live and that's why we decided to do this series that God tells us where to live lives of purpose and meaning. In fact, our anchor verse for the series, Ephesians 5.15, which is the first message of it, really kind of bases off of, reminds us, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Yeah, there's everything to escape from, be evil stuff, but God says instead of that, we're supposed to have a li- wise lives, be very, very careful how we live. We want to make sure we're engaging in this world and, and and realizing that God has purpose for us and each day, as we were reminded that uh, Pastor Jesse tells us, you know, God even made this day. And we want to make sure that we rejoice, we're glad in it, by also by how we embrace it and live our lives in the midst of it. So we discovered early on that uh, we escape, uh, the difference between escapism is rest is, and rest is this, is that uh, rest refreshes you. Right? It allows you to become more energized to be able to, to handle your day and your reality where escapism just drains you. It could be the same activity. Some people, uh, when they want to sleep and they're sleeping to get in, you know, rested, they'll wake up the next day and they are refreshed and they're ready to handle the day. But if you are going to your bed to escape, then there is no amount of sleep that's going to be able to make you want to get out of under those covers. Right? It's not the activity, it's the intent. And we want to make sure that we are engaging life, making sure that we are actually rested, so we are refreshed, so we can handle life, but that we're not uh, running away from it. Then, as we escape escapism, uh, to make sure that we are fully rested and we make the most of our time, that we look at the things that God has called us to do so we can be proactive, and we talked about that. But then, beyond this, making the most of our time and worshiping God with our time, we can also be escape escapism by actually living for the great purposes God has put before us. Last week we talked about one of those, it's family, and how important family is, even though in our culture it's not, how if for God and uh, for our design, family's a big priority and how we can live for that. Well, today we talk about another important prior- priority, and that is friendship, and that uh, God has put us on this world, and uh, we see in Scripture and in the demonstration of, of through Christ and, and even how God works with people, friendship is an important priority, something that God calls us to. So what is friendship? Well, friendship is a close, trusting relationship between two people. Now, you can have a relationship between two people that are not friends, right? You can have uh, two people that don't like each other. They're not close. You could have two people that don't trust each other. Those aren't friends. Right? And we have a lot of those types of people in the world. In fact, if you are just walking through Safeway, you're going to have a lot of people that you are close with, but you're not trusting them. Right? That's why we carry our wallets with us and the ladies with your purses. Have, right? You don't just put it in your cart and walk away if you have any sense at all. Right? Because we don't trust the world, and we shouldn't. There's a lot of untrustworthy people out there. And there are some people that are trustworthy that we just don't know. We haven't gotten to open our hearts to and haven't had time for them to open their hearts to us. 
But friends is that, that wonderful intersection. We have these people that are close to us and that we can trust. And uh, that type of relationship has a big factor with uh, how people feel satisfied in life. The more friends you have, the more people that are, have those close trusting relationships are, are happier in life, typically are more successful in life, have fewer illnesses. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. You have a better support network. And we know that uh, the Bible talks a lot about friendship. It's never really commanded, but we do see that it's something that is, is talked about all the way through. In the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew word, which sounds crazy, but it really the idea behind of how Hebrews talked about it was the idea of companionship, being close to somebody. That was their main focus on, on how the, the Jews, when they talk about friendship, was this idea of, here's a person that I'm, I'm really connected to. Right? In the New Testament, the Greeks being more rational or logical, you know, their language has that word philos. We have like a, a Philadelphia, like brotherly love, that, that love they have that it really talks about affection. It's not so much that their focus was on how close I was, but how trusting I was on people, right? I think that's just kind of interesting. You look at the different cultures. Ours uh, in America, I think we kind of have a blend of both. Uh, when we have friends, it's, it's both that we have people that we could trust with our hearts, right? But we, we get to know. It's that, are they in integral into my life? Is there a companionship? And are these people that I can actually have, I like? And that's the difference between friends and family, right? Family are people that, biblically, we are commanded to love. We have an obligation to love our family. Right? We're, and there's a reason for that obligation, right? So God chooses your family for you, and sometimes it's a ministry. And so we get to... We have this thing where we have to choose their good above our own, right? We are commanded to love. But friends are on the other side of the people that we get to like. That's wonderful. That's what a great freedom. Uh, the people that we have an opportunity to enjoy. The, there are people in the world that we allow them to actually enjoy our presence as well. And so we look at uh, friendship. We recognize that there's, some, there's core ideas in there. One of those is that, that friends are... Uh, they are reliable. There's, uh, they have this uh, ability to be faithful. That, that's part of what a friend is, to be close and trusting. And isn't it interesting that's what God wants from us, that you are saved on the basis of faith, that God looks to save the faithful? It's not so much how good you are or all the great things that you've done for him, how impressive you are. I mean, he made you. He's already impressed by you. He calls you his masterpiece. But how are you? What's the gateway? What is saved? Well, we're saved by grace through faith. God looks for the faithful, those who are close and trusting. This shows you the high value that God has on friendship. And that's why we say friends are important. But in our culture, that's not so much the case. In fact, our culture has gone away. In fact, in the last 20 years, you know, the number of Americans that say they don't have any friends at all has quadrupled. It quadrupled? How do you say that? It's four times more. That's, that's crazy to me. And that we used to, the average American 20 years ago had six or more friends, close friends in their friend group. Today, over half of Americans have three or less friends. That's crazy to me. That we have fewer and fewer friends. So some of those, there's some good reasons. People are spending more time with their families, which is good priority. But a lot of that is that we've just become more isolated. That we're not prioritizing friendship. And I think oftentimes we apply false purity tests to one another in order to be a friend. And be, as a result of this, we find that more and more Americans are less satisfied with life, have less social stability, right? And, and don't have that network of, of people that they enjoy in life, so they don't enjoy life as much. But that's just silly, because you know what we don't have any shortage of? People. 
right? If we can learn to like each other, we have a lot less problems. <laughs> and you know what? This is something that God really uh, calls us to do. In fact, God didn't just, com- he doesn't command friendship. I don't think he's something he needed to do, but what he does do is he models it for us. Do you know that even God the Father really in the Old Testament demonstrates friendship? I mean, he didn't have to be friends with anybody. He made the people, right? He could just be the authority over the top, but instead he makes people and then he befriends them. That shows how much of a priority it is to God. That's how much it is part of our, di- of our, our own um, character, our own design. Uh, for example, uh, look at Abraham, right? Abraham was a, a dude that he grew up in a very pagan culture. They had all these other foreign gods and everything around, but God saw, here's a guy that's faithful, that, that is, can be trusted, that, that it can be close to me. And he calls this guy out of his own home. at seven. He's messing with him. Right? 70 years old, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to retire. I'm going to enjoy my family. Now, hey, Abram, why don't you just leave and go camping for a while? I'm going to give you some kids. Trust me. Abram does, and they have this amazing relationship, and you see it blossom through the book of, of Genesis. So much so that even by, in the New Testament, James, Jesus' brother, writes this, says, and the scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abram, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. In fact, there are several places in the scripture where God actually calls Abraham God, his friend, right? And one of them is Isaiah. I think it's amazing. Wouldn't it be cool if God said, you know, just publicly, and here's my friend Aaron. That's pretty cool that we have a God who is willing to do that, that, that he wants to have a tr- close, trusting relationship with his people. He is a friendly God. <laughs> he found in Abraham a reliable ally, and Abraham found in God a reliable ally. They were faithful, and they liked each other, and they spoke to one another. And was it a perfect friendship? Did, did they ever offend one another? Yeah, they both offended each other. Now, Abraham was always wrong, but he was still offended. I mean, and we could understand. Like, God said, hey, if you move to this land, I'll give it to you. And then also, count the stars in the sky, you have all these descendants. And he waits. He's already an old man, and he doesn't have any kids, and he's still, land, you know, living on, on, on a rented property and he comes the guy he's like come on but did he give up on god no they worked through it and abraham certainly did a lot of things that were offensive to god he was like i clearly i can't trust you to keep your word i want you to keep your word so i'll keep your word for you i'll just i'll just uh take my uh, my wife's handmaiden and we'll have a, I'll have a kid with her that's how i'll do things uh, he did a lot of crazy not so smart stuff but it, did it destroy their friendship? No. Abraham and God both saw and believed the best in each other. They worked towards it, and they had a close, trusting relationship, so much so that Abraham would be called God's friend. You know, Abraham wasn't the only guy that was God's friend. I, I think you look even later, uh, Moses, right? Exodus thirty-three eleven says the Lord would speak with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. It's not like God just picked one guy. That God has shows he has this, this history of befriending those who serve him and who love him. And, and we look at that. Moses wasn't a perfect dude, but he was faithful. I mean, before he became the great lawgiver, he murdered somebody, which is kind of a bad thing. Shouldn't do that. He doubted God. God told him, hey, uh, and their great introduction, God shows up in a burning bush, which I think is kind of cool, right? He's like, go back to that place where they want to kill you for, you know, for murdering somebody. 
and tell them to let all of their free workforce go. And he's like, I don't know if I want to do that. And he's like, no, no, I'll be with you. And, 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 but they would negotiate with one another. God gave him Aaron, and then they go in, and he does all of the plagues and all those types of things. And, and there was times in their relationship that things got, you know, rocky, right? <laughs> Where he, hey, Moses gets angry with the people and strikes a rock twice, and that really offends God. And he's like, that's it. You get a timeout. You can't go to the promised land. You could see it, but you can't go. But did, did God give up on, on Moses after that? No, even when Moses died, God said, his, I'm going to give him a special burial. No one on the rest of you are invited to his funeral. And so God himself got to bury his friend. I think that is a sweet thing. Like God is a good friend. He is close, and he is trustworthy he is faithful he is an ally and he is a good friend and if we are his followers to be godly i think that suddenly recognize that that's part of that's part of the nature we're supposed to have not to be perfect but to be forgiving to believe the best of one another to see that's good in one another and to, to be able to let us ourselves be close to somebody somebody be close to us but it's not just god the father you know that when when God the Son, God put on flesh, came to earth, wouldn't you know it? One of the things that he prioritized in his brief time on earth, his 30-some years, was to make friends. Right? He chooses these 12 really average dudes. Right? Just doing their thing. Fishermen, you got tax collectors, you got political guys, you know, right? Just, just average guys. Nobody else had chosen. He, he chooses them. He has them. He lives with them, right? For all of those years, right? And, and you get close with the guys like this. And at the end of his ministry in John 15, he says to this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. He let them be close. He trusted them. That even God incarnate demonstrates to us what it looks like to be a friend. And if it was a priority for Jesus, whose mission on this world was to save humanity from sin, that's an important job. That's a little more important than even what God has called me on this earth to do, right? He had a big job. He was important stuff. His career mattered. And he still prioritized friendship. Uh, that should tell us something about how important friendship is. It's something that, that we could... But also, I think we look at, uh, at Jesus, and I think he shows us how to be a friend. What does it look like to be a friend? And, and I think because of this, that Jesus calls his disciples friends and makes friends. Do you know that's one of the things that Christians referred to each other as in the early church, as friends, right? It, not very often. Usually we're brothers and sisters, usually it's family language because we are commanded to love one another, and there's a reason for that. But you know, we also get to like each other. In 3 John, John writes this at the end. He says, the, the friends here, that's the church there, by the way, Send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Dude, we're all friends in this place. We have a close, trusting relationship. I was talking with, the, there's a, a bishop of the uh, of St. Francis Church, that's a little church there in, on, uh, um, what is it, uh, the, off of Fish Creek. I can't remember the name of the little meta, the valley that's down there, but it's a little tiny church that's there. And they have a new bishop. And so I, I got to have breakfast with them, right? And, and we don't see eye to eye on everything, right? Because that's why there's different denominations. But one thing that we see eye to eye on is Jesus. 
right? He is Lord and Savior. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Him. That's a great thing. And as we were talking, he said, well, why, you know, why do you meet with us? I said, because, I said, you know, Bishop, because here's the deal, is that in heaven, we're going to have to get along because we're all there. And so we might as well learn how to get along here. And he said, well, that seems like a, that makes sense. And I think there's a reason that God calls us to have close, trusting relationships with one another, that we are to be friends. That's as part of the identity of the church. When non-Christians look at the church, they should say, man, that's a friendly group of people. We even had a great sermon a couple of months ago, which was really fantastic, and you should probably go back and listen to it. If you hadn't before, it's talk about we're the friendliest place on earth. It should be the church. It's who we are. It's part of our DNA, our spiritual DNA. It's part of our physical DNA. It's part of us being made in the image of God who is a friendly God and demonstrated it in not just his divinity but also his life on earth. So yeah, it should be part of who we are. And we recognize that friendships are, are important, but Scripture, and I think the best place in Scripture talks about friends and how to be good friends is Proverbs, warns us that not all friends are the same. In fact, not all friends are good uh, for example, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity, so friends are important. We will have to have friends like this, right? But contrast that with just a, a chapter later where it says this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. Not all friends are good. There are good friends and there are bad friends. There are friends who are close and trustworthy, who are faithful, and there are friends that will destroy you. And we have to be careful. And that's one thing that we, so it's not just that we just want to be so friendly with everybody that we let ourselves be destroyed. We need to be discerning and wise. So good friends help us through hard times. They do. In fact, they make the better times even better because we've got somebody to enjoy it with. But bad ten friends will create trouble and will destroy us. Proverbs 22 says this, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate one who is easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself snared. Look at this. That friends rub off on us. Right? That's one of the things. There's a warning that we look at the people whom we're allowing to become close to us. Look at the people who you allow yourself to trust and say, do I want to be like that person? Because you're going to become a little bit like that person. In fact, 1 Corinthians puts it this way. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And every parent in the room is like, yes, I've been telling my kid that forever. So here's the deal. No friends is a way that we go into escapism. When, when the world becomes overwhelming to, to people, they just escape and they isolate, right? And so having no friends is a form of escapism. It's just trying to get away from the world and I want to deal with people or anything else. It's like that song, Simon and Garfunkel, I'm a rock, I'm an island, right? I have no friends. It's just a pitiful, disgusting thing, right? But bad friends are also, I think, a gateway to escapism. Bad friends will lead us down bad paths. Some, oftentimes they make our lives worse or they influence us to do bad things that make us want to escape from life, right? They, they draw us into not engaging in the great things God has called us to, but to escape from the great things that God has called us to. That's a bad friend. Good friends on the other side give us purposeful living. A good friend is somebody who's going to carry, help us go through the bad times, but also going to challenge us in the good times. It helps draw out the very best in us. I mean, look at the effect of, of God's friendship with Abraham. We would say that was a positive relationship, it brought out the best in Abraham. I think we would agree. You wouldn't know Abraham if he didn't know God. Or how about Moses? 
Moses was just a shepherd, right? Just doing his shepherdy things, running from the law. Then he meets God. Turns out to be the great God you know, lawgiver. I think that that was a good friendship. How about the disciples? How about Peter? Right? That, that having Jesus as a friend improved his life. Right? Totally changed his identity. Helped him engage in the purposes God gave him. Good friends do that. So, how do you find good friends? That should be the main question because we recognize that we need to have friends and we live in a society that doesn't prioritize and the church should, but not everybody's a good friend. How do we find good friends? Well, remember, good friends are close and trusted. So we want to find the first thing we want to find, good friends are trustworthy. If you want to find a good friend, find somebody who is worthy of your trust right? A proven friend, right, is somebody who's going to show that they, over a period of time, have your best interest in their heart. They're not going to draw you into bad things because they care about you. The effect of your relationship with them over and over again, and here's an example. If you have somebody who, you know, uh, you're having a bad day and you call up and yet it's not the best time for them, they still make time for you, that's probably a decent friend. But some of you are like, man, I could really use some help moving my table from over here to over there. And they're like, ah, call me when you have hot wings and we want to watch a game, but I don't want to help you. Probably not a great friend. Somebody you could trust. But there are deeper things. A, a, a good friend is, is going to be one who over time, like if you've, you've shared something deep about your heart with, they're not going to use that against you. Right? A, a good friend is somebody who gets to know the real you and they constantly are, are calling up the best in you. A good friend is somebody who is worthy of a trust. And Jesus, I think, proved this the best. We look at Jesus as our mentor, as our guide to being a good friend. What did Jesus say to his, to his disciples and to us? He says, greater love has none than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's having somebody else's best interest in their mind. Jesus was a very good friend. He was willing to die for his friends who he knew would betray him. Good friends are worthy of trust. So that's the first thing. The second thing we find that good friends are close. Right? You're going to find a good friend. You have to find somebody who's willing to open their heart up to you and willing to let you open your heart up to them. And that is a little bit tougher than it seems, right? To be open and vulnerable is a tall ask, and it doesn't happen quickly. If it happens quickly, you're dealing probably with a very damaged person, and I would be careful. That, that when somebody wants to be best friends on the first you know, time you meet them, watch out. Either, either selling you something or there's, there's danger behind this. But if you meet somebody and, and you start to learn that to trust them and they start to, you test the waters a little bit, you tell them a little story or you, you let them into a little part of your life and they're, they're safe with that, right? And then they get a little bit closer to you and they may reciprocate, right? Over time, you grow closer and closer and closer together. That's a healthy way of building a friendship, but not everyone's willing to do that. There are a lot of people in this world that could be trustworthy. They're going to be, they're not going to do anything immoral or anything like that, but they're not going to let you into their heart. Or they don't want to know much about you. Like if they ask you, hey, how you doing? And a good friend you could be honest with. Like last night, we had a, a lousy day. It was a bad football game, and I was just really in a bad mood. Then afterwards, I met with some of my friends. And I got to tell them how I actually felt about the whole thing. Now, honestly, 
how I felt is not how I'm going to live. Right? How I felt was just how I felt. I needed somebody to be like this. And they weren't going to just beat me over the head with that, like, Aaron, you're a bad person because you don't think perfect thoughts all the time. Like, I was upset. I was upset because we lost a football game. And I was like, I never want to coach football ever again. But that's how I felt. That's not how I'm going to be. Right? You have to have friends that will allow you to be close, but that happened over a long period of time of me being open with them and them being open with me, and there is this sense of open vulnerability and trust that comes together so we can be close with one another. Some people, they ask, hey, Aaron, how'd the football game go? And they just want me to say, oh, it wasn't great. Okay, good. That's enough. I don't ever want to hear any more about that. Right? I want you to say, fine. Because I don't want any of your drama. I've got enough of my own life. I don't want to get close to you. Right? And that's fair. We can't take on everybody's drama. Not everybody needs to be my friend. But anybody who's going to be my friend has got to be open to a little bit of drama. Right? And that goes the other way. A- and it's, it's a two-way street. It can't just be I let somebody in. If they're always having arms you know, held out that they're not letting me into their life, then we're not friends. Close friends have this two-way thing. They're willing to be open and vulnerable, and they're willing to accept your openness and your vulnerability. And yes, it takes time. It should. Proverbs 18, 24 says this. The one who has unreliable friends comes to ruin, right? We read that before, but look at the other half of that. It says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the opposite. It's one of those things where it says, here's one thing, and now here's the other side of the coin. You have unreliable friends, you could come to ruin, but you have a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that's somebody who is reliable. Guess what? You're not going to come to ruin. That's a good thing. And so we have to have people that are close to us, stick closer than a brother would, that, that are closer than I'm just going to love you, but people are saying, I'm going to like you with all of your faults, with everything. Honestly, I'm going to know you, and I'm going to like you. And guess what? It keeps us from ruin. Good friends want to go deeper. Good friends want to let you go deeper into their life. Uh, think of this. Like uh, a, a good example is Peter and Jesus. Peter and Jesus got to know each other, right? And they had been with each other for, for a while. And, Jesus, and Peter got to see Jesus do all kinds of miracles. And Peter got to see, uh, Jesus got to see Peter and how he interacted with things. And Peter then and Jesus and the disciples, uh, they go up to this place called Caesarea Philippi, which is a place of pagan worship on the northern end of Israel. And there was this huge religious complex with all these false gods up there. And Jesus takes his buddies up there and he says, you know, who does everybody say I am? On the surface level, what is the word on the street? Who do people think I am? And his friends are honest with him. They're open with him. They say, well, some say you're a teacher. Some say a prophet, right? You're a great moral guy. Jesus is like, all right, so they're not deep. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Matthew 16, this is what it says. He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter saw Jesus. He knew him in a deep and an intimate way that nobody else did. He was close. He was a friend. And you know what? He he saw the real Jesus. And he called it up and he called it out. And that is beautiful. But you know, it wasn't just that, that, that Peter was close with Jesus. Jesus was close with Peter. Because we see the very next thing that Jesus also identifies the real Peter right after this. The next verse it says, but Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. He says, look at this. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Peter's dad was named Jonah. It's John. 
that Jesus knew his dad. He's saying, you're the son of the dove, the spirit. I see the real you, Peter. Everybody else sees just a regular old fisherman. But I see you as a man that is led by the spirit and hears from God. And then he goes on the next verse. He redefines him. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. That means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And there they were looking at the literal gates of Hades. On this maybe rock. And he says, this, you are more impressive than that, Peter. I see you. I know you. He let God in. And Peter listened to him. And from that point on, did Peter go by Simon? No, because the real him was revealed. Now, it's not just that the real friends are close, that we're open and honest, that we're able to let them see the real us and we're able to see the real them. But then also, we've got to be honest. And I can't click. So if you can click for me, that would be awesome. But, you know, any time would be good. But, you know, whenever. There we go. Um, there we go. Honest. Good friends are lovingly honest. There's that word lovingly is in there. Bad friends are just honest. You know, Aaron, you're ugly today. <sighs> Aaron, you're ugly always. Well, <laughs> Aaron, I love you because you always make me feel good about how good I look. <laughs> lovingly honest. Right? Jesus saw the real Peter, said, hey, Simon, son of John, right? Jonah, right? You, you are, you're going to be Peter, right? I know that I'm going to build my church on this. You're going to be solid, dude. Right after that, Jesus said, now, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back. And Peter's like, no, 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 that can't happen. And he rebukes Jesus, and Jesus then calls out his weakness. I mean, in that very same thing, he then says, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. A couple breaths ago, he's like, you are the rock, solid faith, hearing from God. Satan, why? You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, if Jesus just stopped at, you're, uh, you're Satan, that's not a good friend. That's not lovingly honest. That is just honest, right? But he brings it to the next thing. He says, listen, the reason I called you that is because you're following not the spirit right now. You have in mind not the thing of God, which I know you can hear. But you have human concerns in mind. And so he's honest. You know, our good friends can call out our weaknesses because they've earned the right. Not everyone can come to you and tell you your deepest brokenness. Right? That takes some trust, takes some vulnerability, but a friend loves you, and they've proven that they love you. They've proven that they see the best in you, and they've proven to be on your side. They want your best, and that is why we listen to them when they say, hey, here's something. Here's a flaw in your character. Here's a flaw in something you're doing, and, and here's something you need to, to, to change, and we need those people. Right? Proverbs 27 says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. We need people who are willing to do heart surgery on us. It, it's going to sting a little bit sometimes. But we need them to do that. Because, let's be honest, none of us are perfect. And we all have problems in here, and we need other people, not just the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Sometimes he, we need our friends as well to come along beside us and say, here's something that needs to change, and to tell us truth in a loving way. I'm not telling this to you to destroy you. I'm telling this to you because it is destroying you, and I'm here to help you change. And, and you know what? Enemies don't do that. 
A bad friend is never going to tell you anything that's bad about you. That's how you know they're not a good friend. They're never lovingly honest. They're always just giving you flattery, multiplying kisses. They're allowing the poison in your life. They'll see it. They might be close enough to see that you have problems, but they're not going to help you. That's not the people you need around you. The people need you around you are those who call up the best things in you, but also call out the worst things so you can change. Which brings up there that good friends call up our best. It's criticism to build up, not to tear down. That's the difference. An enemy is going to try to tear you down. A bad friend who's is going to tell you all the reasons that you're awful, why no one should love you, why you're worthless, that you're not going to make it. You shouldn't be around those people. But a good friend is going to tell you these are the things that are keeping you from the great stuff God has designed you for. These are the parts of your life that need to change. And then here's how I'm gonna, I want to help. Right? I see the best in you. I believe the best in you. And this is keeping you from it. A good friend will do that. A good friend will also say, I see some really great things in you that you don't. And here they are. Here are your great strengths. And they're going to build you up. They're going to call out your best. Because they see and believe the best in us. A, a sign of a good friend is a person who gives you the benefit of the doubt. Because they believe the best in you. Even when you don't believe the best in yourself. You do something dumb, they're going to assume it's because, well, you were dumb. Not because you're an awful person. Right? That's going to be a difference. They're going to be quicker to forgive, but they're also going to be very slow to let stuff slide. That's a good friend. They're kind of like little coaches in your life that draw you up and love you all along the way. Before his uh, crucifixion, Jesus told Peter, hey, bud, um, you're going to betray me. Right? In fact, it started with, you know, Judas left, and he's like, where is he going? They're like, well, he's going to betray me. And they're like, what? One of us is going to betray you, not me. And Peter's like, I'll die before I betray you. And Jesus is like, actually, dude, the truth is you are going to betray me. You're going to betray me three times, actually, before tomorrow morning. Jesus didn't make it happen. It wasn't like he forced Peter to betray him. He's like, this is already in you. Here's a weakness. It's going to happen. Right? And Peter's like, ah, it would never happen. But Jesus saw it. He knew the real Peter, and he told him. But then he also told him, we went down to the garden after that, and he starts praying, right? And here, he's going to go to the cross. He's going to take on the weight of all of the sins of the world. He's going to take on the full wrath of God, which is terrifying. And he's down there, and he's praying. And the first, before he starts praying, he tells Peter, hey, guys, you need to pray. You need to pray for yourselves because Satan has asked to sift you. And I'm asking God to give you strength. Jesus, even when he's about to face his biggest trial of the the most, most amazing trial of all of humanity, he's praying for his friend, whom he already told, you're going to fail this, but I want you to be, and I'm, I want you to know that after this, you're going to be reinstated. And what happens? Well, Peter fails. And Jesus looks through that window and sees Peter. He's like, I told you. Peter's filled with shame and he runs off. Was that it? Would the God, did Jesus say, well, that's it. I can't trust him. He's an untrustworthy friend. I even told him he was going to fail. I even prayed for him and he failed. No, after the resurrection, what does Jesus do? He meets with Peter. And then he doesn't just meet with Peter. Later on, they're out fishing, doing Peter's own, you know, business, right? They do it, and Peter's not catching any fish. And Jesus, you know, messes with his buddy, stands on the seashore and says, hey, why don't you throw the nets in the water again? On the wrong side of the boat, the wrong side of the day. Peter's like, oh, I've already done this once before. Does it? All of a sudden, fish. 
He's like, that's Jesus. It's the Lord. He dives in, swims across to see his friend. Then after breakfast, Jesus makes him a, a wonderful fish breakfast. He takes his buddy aside and he asks him that question, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter's like, that ship's sail. I love you, Jesus, as a friend, but I, I can't say I love you unconditionally. Like, we get that. Jesus said, that's enough. I'm giving you responsibility in my church. Feed my sheep. But let me ask you again, do you love me unconditionally? Peter's like, I, you know, Lord, that I love you like a friend. But I, I, can't, I can't love you unconditionally. Jesus said, that's good. You feed my people. I got work for you. He asked him a third time, but do you really love me as a friend? And he was hurt because he asked him that third time, do you love me like a friend, right? Not unconditionally. Peter says, you know that I love you like a friend. Jesus said, that's enough. Go and, and, and take care of my people. But then Jesus goes and gives him the most amazing thing. He, he sees the best in Peter and he says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and you'll go where you don't want to go. Now, to us, it has nothing to do with dressing and walking around as an old person. He's telling Peter, you actually do love me unconditionally. When you're younger, you avoided the crucifixion, right? <laughs> By betraying me. But I'm going to tell you, I see in you, Peter, greatness. And there's a day coming that you're going to pass the test. And you're going to prove to yourself and all the world that you actually do love me more than, than that. That, that you're going to be even crucified for your faith. That you're going you're gonna to do this, Peter. That I see the faithfulness in you. You know how amazing that is? That, that, that Jesus called up the very best in Peter. Even when he deserved it the least. He saw it and he called it out. And I can imagine Peter, even in those last, the end of his life, just that encouragement to know that where I am is not where I'm going to finish. So, that's how to find a good friend. How do you be a good friend? Because who cares if you find a good friend if you're a lousy friend? There's two people in that relationship. You're one of them. So here's, here's the thing. You've got to be trustworthy. Learn to be worthy of other people's trust. Don't betray them. Don't gossip. Don't tear other people down. Learn how to be about their good above your own. Also, be close. That requires you to learn how to be vulnerable and open. And you're just going to be slow. Because for some people, you've been burned so many times, it's going to take a lot of effort. So find one person that you can trust and slowly learn how to be vulnerable and open, compassionate. Beyond that, be lovingly honest. This is for someone like me who is a chronic people pleaser and I've worked so hard with the Lord to overcome that because I need to love people more than I like me, right? To be able to tell others, this is something that's ugly in you and it needs to change, but I'm only telling this because I know that there's something better in you. That's hard, but sometimes we need to take those next steps with our friends. And how you say things is important as what you say, by the way. So let's say things in a loving way, but also to be committed to their best, compassionately optimistic, right? To, to be able to see the very best in others, to draw it up, to make sure that your effect in another person's life actually is for their benefit, that you're drawing up something good in them. So be trusty, be close, be lovingly honest, be committed to their best. If all of that is too hard to remember, remember this. This is what Jesus tells us, Matthew 7. It's a golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. That's a way of being a good friend. Right? If we can start treating each other more that way, we'll have more friends. And we'll be more friendly. And we'll be more Christ-like. And we will have the people that draw us into the purposes that God has called us to. And we'll have so much less reason to escape. So how do I escape escapism? One of the things is to worship God with my friends. 
So how do you do that? On your connection card, I've got some next steps for you. The first one is you can memorize Ephesians 5.15. Why? Because it matters. <laughs> the days are evil. There's are hard days to live in, so be wise with how you live, not as unwise. Make the most of every opportunity, and part of that is by how you're investing in your friendship. Take some time, memorize that. Something else you can do is evaluate your friendships this week. Look at the people that are close to you in your life. You can list them down. And I would encourage you, if you're not praying for your friends, who else is? So it's good to have a list. List who are the people that are close to you in your life and then look at those friendships and run them through that test. Are they trustworthy, right? Are these people the ones that are they close to me, right? Are, are they lovingly honest with me? Do they call up my best? But then reverse that and say, am I that for that person? Evaluate your friendships, Something else we could do is inv invest in your friendships. And I'm just going to say, invite someone to something. Maybe it's to invite this friend for coffee. Go have a talk. Maybe it's to invite them for a phone call, right? Maybe it's to invite them for dinner. Uh, maybe who It's got to be a person to do a thing with them. That's how we connect with each other. And if you just need the prompt, maybe there's someone who you try to be a friend of. Make time for each other is what I'm saying. Make a commitment for somebody to make time <laughs> for somebody this week. Something else you can do, you know in the church we're supposed to be friends and I think we are, so one great way to do that, to build that friendship is through a life group. That's why there's smaller groups. It's easier to make connection in the smaller groups. If you need to be part of a life group, let me know, right? LG on your connection card or just check that. We'll help you connect with a smaller group of people that gives you a greater chance of getting to know people slowly over time to say, who are the people that I can be close with? So you have the benefit of that friendship and you can worship God with your friends. There you go. Now, last thing, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you're not, I want to say thank you for being here today. That is awesome. I pulled back the curtains, right? To say this is part about being our faith, that we need to, to be uh, loved by God and to love God, but also love each other. But that starts with this. We need to love God and be loved by God. There is no better friend than Jesus. All the things that I mentioned, God has done for you, but you need to be a friend with him back. In fact, his faithfulness is on the terms by which we're saved, by grace through faith. God wants that friendship. And if you need to be moved from that place where you're at enmity between yourself and God to be his friend, know this, that he has done everything to make that way. He died on a cross for your sins. He paid the penalty for all those things. This is a great thing. He turned his own wrath away and so that he could have a face of friendship towards you. And so if you are here this morning and you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me encourage you in, in the strongest and, and most compassionate way possible that, that, that God wants to be your friend. Please say yes to him. Be saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. If you need to make that decision, I encourage you to come talk with me. Uh, how do we express that, that friendship? How do we express that faith? Belief and confession, repentance, there's baptism, there's discipleship. There's all kinds of great things to do, but it's a life of friendship with God. And if you need to start that, come talk with me. I'll help you begin that process. All of us, hopefully, have something that we need to commit to this morning. So I encourage you, put on your connection card. If you have any prayer requests, write those on there. And in just a minute, take those connection cards along with your ties and your commitments and drop those in the offering basket. Let me pray for you as you make these commitments to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you. You are good and you're compassionate and you're kind. You're close. You're trustworthy in the greatest possible way. You're the most faithful, most, most uh, uh, reliable ally there's ever been. Lord, we want to give our hearts to you today because we can trust you. Help us to become more Christ-like in this. Help us to worship you with our friends. And Father, in that, give us the ability to live this life in a wise and a good manner making the most of every opportunity, Lord, for you and for your glory. 
take these commitments. Help us to do that with the Lord, to draw closer to you through them. Father, I pray for our tithes and our offerings, that you would build your kingdom through this for your glory. And all these things, Lord, may they all be an expression of our friendship with you. We pray that in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus.